This podcast was produced by Sean Weston Media. Welcome to episode 24 of the Media Will Eat Itself podcast. It's another season of interviews about how modern professional people work within modern media. What skills do we need to have these days? How has working with media changed over the years? And what do we have to look forward to? This week, Johnny Palmer and I discuss the events industry, how it has or hasn't adapted to change, and the virtual venue concept. We find out a little bit about Johnny's young entrepreneurial background, his move from Tasmania to the UK, his work in his local community, and the energy demands on the physical and mental health of a self-starter. It's been quite a ride for the events industry over the last few months, to say the least. COVID-19 has brought proceedings to a standstill. So I begin our discussion by asking Johnny to introduce us to his current project, The Virtual Venue event production company and the events industry suddenly stopped existing come mid-March time. So we thought to ourselves, how can we use our resources to help people deliver their messages and create their experiences when we can't actually be with each other in person? Okay. So, uh, and it's not a rental model, is it? I mean, there's a few of those around where you rent space and everything, but you're offering something very different. You're, you're supplying the venue and the equipment. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people are just putting equipment in warehouses, which is great. Um, we can do that too. But we realize people need an end-to-end solution from the point where they've got a message they want to share right through to their audience members walking away with that message in their heads. So we've gone for a full turnkey solution, which has taken us on a journey of massive innovation on every front. Yeah. And you set this up with some other entrepreneurs as well, right? Yeah. So a lot of our staff are furloughed, but we realize that there's nothing saying uh, they can't go and set their own companies up. So we've actually set up a new company, made them all directors and shareholders, um, developing a software platform, which is central to all of this. So we've turned a bunch of furloughed staff into co-founders of a new tech company called Intelligo. And Intelligo, uh, if I'm right, was set up for online teaching, but you're making use of it for the virtual venue. So and, and it's all set up like a TV studio as well, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. So Intelligo, originally we thought, okay, we're events. How can we serve the world with our skills? And we thought, let's work on an education streaming platform. So that was an instant pivot to a new sector using the same technology. Now, the education sector has proven to be extremely hard to penetrate. So we're now adding more functionality to that same pivot to make it another pivot back into events. So it's right. a full circle back to where we started from, which is which is fine. And we can do that now in a way that you wouldn't normally be able to do. Sure. It makes a lot of sense. But the virtual venue didn't occur overnight either. You've been involved in, in events production since you were a teenager. Did that start in the UK? Uh, no, no. I started um, tinkering with audio equipment in um, on a farm in Tasmania. And you were very, very young when you, you first got interested in it, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I started getting very obsessed with audio at nine years old and then DJing nine. subsequently. Uh, yeah, indeed. Yes, yes. Don't tell me you were DJing at nine. No, no, I started at 12. Um, that's why I managed to blag my way into doing a year six dance um, with some old um, tapes, which I'd pirated music from the radio and TV. It was, yeah. it was pretty janky, but, <laughs> but got some people on the dance floor. And audio equipment has moved on so much since then. But the basics, that grounding that you were getting uh, at nine years old and, and then 12 DJing, that, that understanding of how audio equipment works has really helped you, hasn't it? Yeah, audio audio is a cool passion. Love sound, love sound. But more importantly, the way people interact, um, how music and sound can affect an audience, how people absorb content, how they interact at parties. And that more human side of live events has been critical because fundamentally we're in the message delivery business, not the audio business. 
Mm, absolutely. But they basically, uh, the DJing, I guess, funded the purchase of more lighting and audio equipment, and you, you kind of went on from there. Now, am I right in saying you actually founded SXS, your, your company, at 15? This is when you moved to the UK, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Started doing um, mobile DJing um, and then doing production quite badly to start with and then gradually, you know, figured things out and then eventually started doing some pretty serious work, which is where we were up until early March this year when yeah, the exactly. industry just turned off. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So um, at 20, I think uh, you were providing event services um, and and, for, and you had DJs across Europe. So uh, Yeah, it did, did work across Europe and then through university was doing um, multiple shows um, on a Saturday night with our own systems and then doing um, residencies at Christmas parties and things and then adding more yeah. production to it. So chaotic time. Um, a real, real um, hellfire of logistics management, which was which was good fun, but but hard work, but a good learning curve. Well, I get that sense. I, I, exactly a good learning curve, but I get that sense. You know, you're one of those people where, you know, you get asked about the, the, the start, the spark of something. The natural entrepreneurs just kind of talk over it as if it isn't that special. It's very natural to you. But for those who aren't natural entrepreneurs, it's exciting to hear, wow, you know, he started this at 15. He set up his company. He actually had that big shift from moving abroad to the UK, started a company and learned all these things. You were producing your first stadium show at 22. Yeah. Now, this this may seem natural to you, but there's something there. There's something there that... that oh, thank that, you. That's a compliment. Thank you. But in terms of the entrepreneurial spirit, um, I think that there's a certain type of, I don't know, it's almost like a slight glitch in the brain where you just actually don't see problems in a way that isn't necessarily always a good thing. You just like, whatever, just get on with it kind of thing, you know? You know what? And it, when you look at business, if you looked at the stats and the numbers and the failure rates, you would actually never do it if you're a rational person. You've got to be a little bit mad. And I think most entrepreneurial types are a bit crazy and they do kind of believe their own their own stuff sometimes a bit too much. But I think that's essential. Well, it's recognizing that there are risks involved, but how big are those risks and how much are they going to affect me? I'm just going to go for it. Is, that's the thing, isn't it? That's the I think so. Score. I think people would, um, a lot of people would look at risk and reward and they don't analyze that in quite an academic sense. I think that if you do that too much, you'd probably never do anything though, because if they're, if the risks are apparently low, it's probably a saturated market. There's very rare for there to be an opportunity that's both um, low risk and not completely exploited already, already, to be totally honest with you. Yeah, yeah. So was it your curiosity about production technology that led to the events industry or did you have an interest in events first? No, I think people who work in live events, most of us, um, we don't choose the events industry. We fall into it because we're either a failed musician, failed DJ, <laughs> or <laughs> like going to parties. I put myself in the category of failed DJ, um, and then you end up in the industry. So no one, I don't think, really starts out thinking, I want to get into event production. It's a really obscure industry. We get into it through some core passion that goes back to our childhood. <laughs> So I'm not going to ask you what, what records you were playing that, that uh, created the failed DJ, but how, how do you think the events industry has changed over the years then that, that you've been involved? Uh, it depends. If you look at the technology, it's changed a lot, especially with video and lighting, but that's just the tools of the trade. What really matters is what are we doing? Why are we here? Why are people spending money? And that is because we're delivering messages and we're creating experiences and the events are just the platform by which we do that. The fact that our events is almost coincidental. Do you think the events industry uh, embraces new technology as it, as it comes through fast enough? Or is it one of those that, that it's quite a slow uh, embracing of new technology? 
Oh, it's a simple question with a complex answer. I think there's a lot of new tech that comes through in the live events world, especially festivals or who can experiment play. But as a sort of establishment, I think the industry likes to stick with what it knows. So the level of innovation is kind of marginal in the mainstream. But I do also think there is a lot of high level innovation at the much sharper creative end. So a real mixture. Yeah, well, the virtual venue is a new concept to many, isn't it? So is the events industry generally open to change and to adapting new technologies and new ways of working? Uh, yeah, I mean, most of what we do as a company, and I've done, has never been inventing anything. All it really is is repurposing. The virtual mm-hmm. venue is basically a TV studio with an event fo- focus, but no one's really bothered to really nail that as an end-to-end solution like we have. So we've repurposed a bit of TV studios, a bit of live events, with a software platform, none of which is original. It's just the way it's been repackaged. It, it takes someone to actually say, you know, let's take this model, let's do something different with it, and and that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah, trying to, you know. So yeah, yeah. well, I say trying. We've got we've got clients online. It's fine. The studio's being used on Friday and Saturday and Tuesday oh, great. and Wednesday. So it's like it's getting used a lot. As with many entrepreneurs, obviously, you have an interest in your local community as well, and you've applied your knack for exploring innovation in, in other areas. And, and the Worley Weir Project, I hope I've pronounced that right, mm-hmm. is, is, is part of your commitment to sustainability, but also to create a long-lasting, usable space for people to enjoy themselves. Now, I'm most interested in the personal and professional energy it takes to commit to various projects at once. What drives you? What, what motivates you? Uh, big question, I suppose on a personal level, I think we all need, I need to feel um, relevant. Like I'm spending the time I've got on this planet doing stuff that's worthwhile, notable, memorable, meaningful, and makes you feel like a good person. Cause I don't you, but sometimes you don't feel like a great person. So you want to kind of convince yourself that you're all right. At least I do anyway. I'm not sure yeah. I'm talking that way, but that's, <laughs> that's an insight into my um, turbulent mind. <laughs> so but but you've also been entrepreneurial there haven't you you developed something called soul cell tell, tell us a little bit about that yeah so soul cell uh it goes back to um the sort of issues we're having with climate change and uh sort of dying habitat that i realized that the events industry is pretty bad when it comes to sustainability and environmental impact so i thought you know, should I leave this industry? And I thought that's not going to help anyone. So what I thought was, is what change can I make from the inside? And it occurred to me that we've got a lot of influence and voice over power production. So I thought, you know what, maybe let's go for diesel generators. Let's try and get rid of them. What can we do? So we've developed a product line called SolCell, which is a deployable renewable power station, basically big, big batteries and solar arrays and some really clever tech that means we can get energy on site at events without using hydrocarbons. I, I just can't believe your your energy, really. I, I watch your videos on on LinkedIn, and you're very, very good at using media. You're using the, the the social channels to actually bring people on your journey with you. But you sound like a, a bag of energy. And and I think when I was starting to do research for for this podcast, I was thinking, wow, he's involved in so many things. He's got his fingers in so many pies. It's not just about motivation. It's about personal health, and it's about how can I keep going at 100 miles an hour and you seem to be doing it at least appearances show that how much of a challenge is it for you um, mentally and and actually physically to to keep going with all of these projects look just because you do very visible outcomes and very visible actions <clears throat> doesn't necessarily mean that you're working as hard as someone who might be 
doing something in a normal job who doesn't get that level of public vision um, doesn't mean you're working as hard as them. So um, just sort of get on with it really and, you know, um, have a great team, get stuff done, uh, cut out all the crap, keep healthy, keep your mind and body working and just, you know, try and keep the progress. Well, I think sometimes people mistakenly think mega busy means mega productive. So, so how much would you agree that simplifying things makes you much more productive? Uh, massively. And I honestly think that I'm not productive for more than three hours a day. Most of my day is spent talking, collaborating, learning, training, improving my processes, running, being healthy, trying to keep good relationships in my personal life. Um, I don't believe that I'm actually truly productive creatively for more than a few hours a day. But in those three hours a day, I'm a machine. Yeah, yeah, and the challenge is in producing high quality and not cutting corners, isn't it? So if you achieve that in three hours, why take eight hours to do the same thing? Well, it's a question of, well, as like, do I need to do it myself? So um, I'll have uh, very intense interactions with people who are very, very good at what they do, um, support them in every way I can. But then there's people who are happy to sit there for the 10 hours it takes to just chop up a video, for example, and put the mm. time into it. I'm not that guy, but there's plenty of people out there who are like that. So I try and build those relationships and use that my time with them very, very efficiently. That's what I try to do. But, you know, ask them, see what they say. <laughs> Yeah, we've I've had a couple of videographers actually on this series and, and it's so labor intensive, you know, all the time that, that it takes to do the edit, to do the rendering and et cetera. It's so exhaustive, actually. It's it's quite a lot. But there's people that love that stuff, right? I mean, I can't do that. My brain is like, I just get bored after 10 minutes, but like, they're amazing and they love it. So team up with them, you know, the world couldn't be full of people like them and it could definitely couldn't be full of people like me. So you've got to mix it up, right? Well, when I see your content, when I watch your videos and read your posts and, and uh, your articles, you come across as intrinsically linked to your business, to the projects you're working on. You're, you're selling yourself as much as you're selling your concepts. Is this a conscious thing? Is that what you're trying to achieve? No, quite the opposite. If anything, any business I'm involved with, I want it to run autonomously. I want to celebrate the teams involved in it. And I want to be involved and be, you know, add some creativity to it, but not actually be in the front line myself. So I'm actually doing a very, very bad job of what I'm trying to achieve. <laughs> I'm sorry. It seems like I've pulled you up on it now. It's, a- no, it's fine. It's fine. It's true. I mean, I get that, you know, but I've also learned there's not many people that want to get in front of a camera and on podcasts. I love all that stuff, but most people don't, I've learned, which I've been surprised about because I just assumed everyone was like me, but they're not. Uh, for for the twenty two episodes I think I've done of this series, I've I've actually invited about one hundred and twenty. Really? You know, you get so yeah, wow. you get so many no's, you get so many people n- not replying. And these are people who are already putting themselves out there who you would you, who you would even bother to ask, and that you're only getting a twenty percent traction. Yeah, I'm I'm more surprised when I don't hear back from them than than anything because I feel like I've actually targeted them. This is what they do. It's a benefit to them to be on this show. I wonder wow. why they didn't get back to me. Yeah, that's really really interesting. Really yeah. interesting, genuinely. Well, it yeah. also comes to that part where, you know, it's important to sell your personality and your character more so in 2020 than perhaps in the year 2000. Oh, massively. Like when I was going through business school training, it's all about like, you know, building a brand, the corporate identity, blah, blah, blah. blah. It's just like, no, nah, sorry, inauthentic. People don't trust companies. Uh, they can decide that maybe they trust a person. They can like a person or not like a person in a way they won't with a company. So although we're in a world of big companies and big tech, globalization, blah, 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 it's actually gone back down to the authentic relationship people feel they have with an individual massively. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Now, your delivery system, your strength seems to be video why is that uh thank you (laughs) um 
don't know, really. I don't, I, I, I don't know if I'd agree with – if you like it, great. I don't know. Um, I think video is a very efficient way of communicating ideas. I mean, you know, the other day Elon Musk was saying that a human can only process about 100 bits of information. We spend most of our brain power um, trying to package up what's in our head and put it into someone else's head. And I thought about that and realized that video is, in my view, the most efficient way of sharing an idea. It is a fantastic way of sharing an idea. Of course, a good writer – might say, well, you know, this article I've just written is the best way to get someone to sit down and focus and and take what they need from it. So everyone thinks, you know, there's a certain format that will do the job. I think podcasts, I think audio uh, is the uh, best way to actually communicate. But you've chosen video. And and I think you've you've not just chosen it; you're actually very good at it as well. You're very good at doing that. You, you know, I've watched you walkthroughs of the virtual venue, and there's a natural ability uh, that you have there to present what's going on. Uh, you, you're not reading from a cue card. You're not reading from notes. It's all very, very natural. Well, thank you that you feel that way. Personally, I really piss myself off when I watch myself in videos. I've got some really annoying habits that wind me up, and I'm working on that. Oh, don't we all? <laughs> we've all <laughs> we've all got them. So, so tell me, what are your own day to day challenges as an entrepreneur? And don't don't say it's <laughs> making the videos. No, the videos are the fun bit. Um, day to day, I mean, in the what in these times, these COVID times, yeah, it's um the gaming. Um, and this is something I'm not seeing much of out there. Is you've got to model every possible scenario, and you've get then got to model multiple steps forward of every scenario. For example, what if we're still in lockdown in a year? What if we're still in lockdown in three years? What if my industry absolutely booms in a month's time, and I've got to get my staff back online really quick when they're actually all quite enjoying sitting out in the sun on furlough? Um, I've got to model out all of these scenarios in my head and think three steps ahead and then model what everyone else is doing in the sector. And it instantly becomes an infinitely complex um, spider's web of what could happen in the future. So basically crystal ball reading is full on, but I enjoy it. I'm a chess player. So I love that stuff. What do you do to depressurize? Is it chess? Run, run. You run. Run a lot. Listen to podcasts. Uh-huh, I knew it. <laughs> That's the best thing, right? I love podcasts, right? Because you know, when I'm not going to sit down and like read a book for an hour, it's not going to happen. But when I go for a run, I can put a podcast on. It's great, and there's such incredible people out there talking about amazing stuff. And you know, then you can skip around, and it's just I love podcasts. They're great, great. I, I'm not. I don't produce my own ones. But I love listening to them. Yeah, have you got a favorite? Uh I like Joe Rogan when he gets good people on. Um, I think Louis Theroux is just an absolute like legend. Um, who else? Dan, uh, Brendan o- o- O'Brien, I think his name is. Um, okay. I don't know uh, that yeah. so many of them. There's so, there's so many fantastic podcasts out there. And I also like the news ones like the Financial Times and The Week and also the BBC stuff. Beyond Today, uh, journalistic gold, that fantastic. <laughs> I think Joe Rogan's just signed an exclusive deal with Spotify. Indeed, he has. A lot of his stuff's yeah. very sport-based, but I do love the stuff he has. Like, And he's, he's not afraid of his sessions going on a bit. The one with Elon Musk the other day was like a three-hour podcast, but he pulls it off because he's that good. Well, before we end this chat, Johnny, what, what nugget of advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs? And what do you usually say to the young people you talk to on a regular basis? Uh, well, two questions there. One is young people. I want them to know the power they have in their voice, how much people listen to young people, because a lot of young people feel like they're not listened to. And that's not true. So I want them to know they have a massive voice and they have unique talents as young people they won't have when they're older. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a big one. I mean, I just look like a, you know, late thirties 
white guy, right? There's nothing exciting there. But if you're like an 18-year-old doing something cool or you're from a different background, that's cool. That's unique, you know? And that's not a that's not going to hold you back. It's a positive thing. What was the other question? Well, you, you pretty much answered two things there. The, 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 the leading question was what nugget advice we give to aspiring entrepreneurs, but who's to say those young people aren't? You know? Oh, yeah, that. Don't get dragged up by what people think. Remember, most people are not entrepreneurial. Most people, frankly, this is nasty to say, they're poor and they don't achieve what they want from their lives. So most people shouldn't be listened to. Have a clear vision. Be self-critical. Think about what people are saying, but don't enact on us. Like, have your own journey and do not get dragged down into the path that someone else thinks should be laid out for you. You won't hear many people say that, but it is true. It really is. But it's controversial. A lot of people would take offense at me saying that. But hey, oh, do, do you think so? Have you heard that? Have you heard that before? Have, have people been offended by that sort of rhetoric? Yeah, because in me saying that, I'm essentially saying that most people aren't worth listening to. That's a pretty offensive thing to say for a lot of people, right? Especially mm. older people that label themselves as wise or whatever. And I'm kind of saying, I'm, I'm suggesting that maybe they don't have the credibility they think they do. And that could be quite offensive to a lot of people, I think. But I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> How do people get in touch with you, Johnny? Oh, any old way. That's why you want to talk to me. Uh, yeah. Give me a message. Give me a phone call. Come for a walk with me. All good. All good. And LinkedIn yeah. and, and the usual social channels. Yeah, get in contact. I'm always up, I'm always up for, a, for a collaboration, any kind of like um, – pro- I love projects. I love, I love using resources to help other people do amazing things um, and vice versa. So anyone who's doing cool stuff that wants the resources I've got, get in contact. I love doing cool stuff. Well, I'm, I'm actually uh, heading down to Bath for hopefully Michael Bublé concert, if he's still doing it, if it's still on. That will be nice. I'll have some serious sound issues down there, but beautiful location. And Michael Bublé, I mean, he's a, he's a beautiful man, that man. He's, a, he's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, Johnny. Thank you. That was Johnny Palmer, and you can find him online on LinkedIn. And the company website is sxsevents.co.uk. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not leave a rating on your favorite podcast platform, or simply share it with someone you know may also enjoy it. Take a look at my own website at seanweston.co.uk for more information about me. And in the meantime, stay tuned. There's more to come. Come.